With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. What's going on? Welcome into the Friday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. The Pelicans winning streak has come to an end last night falling to the Miami Heat 112-97. Keep in mind the Miami Heat number one team in the Eastern Conference. CJ McCollum made his debut last night for the Pelicans with 15 points. Played the most minutes for the Pelicans last night despite being arriving on Wednesday night really late into New Orleans. And we'll get to that. In just a little bit, as always, joining me is Jim Iconoff for Pelicans.com. And our special guest today is Andrew Lopez, who covers the Pelicans in the NBA for ESPN and ESPN.com. Hello, Andrew. How are you today? I'm uh, I'm good. I think I, I, I might just be a little bit more well-rested than CJ McCollum right now, who told us he was getting the full nine hours last night. He was very, very excited to get that nine hours of sleep last night after the day he had uh, going into the trade deadline. No doubt about that. And we'll get to that um, in just a few moments. But I kind of want to go back to the trade. Look, we've had a couple of days to digest what went down on Tuesday between the Pelicans and the Trailblazers. But, of course, CJ and Tony did speak to the media yesterday. And, and Andrew, we'll start with what stuck out to me. And I know Jim feels the same way we talked about on the postgame show last night. What CJ said as far as this process, this process was not sprung up on him like, hey, all of a sudden you're going to New Orleans. Here you go. It was, hey, looks like we're probably going to move you out of these teams, is there a certain destination you want to go? And CJ chose New Orleans. And I feel like with some of the narratives that are going out there right now about people wanting to come play in New Orleans, what does this say about the Pelicans organization and also CJ about him actually wanting to be here and making this trade to New Orleans so he can live here for not only this year, but he's got two more years under his contract after the season ends? Yeah, it just it shows you first the – level of trust that CJ had and, and, and grew with the Portland front office uh, through his, uh, his years there. He was, you know, he was a lottery pick for them and blossomed into the, the most improved player six, seven years ago, whatever it was. Um, and really kind of turned things around from, uh, I mean, got that team to the Western conference finals with, with obviously with Dane Lillard, but, and everything that CJ did, it was like one of those situations where like, Hey, I trust you to help me get to the next situation. And there was, you know, you mentioned his contract. It's, you know, 30 million this year, 33, three uh, next year, and then 35 after that. I mean, he was in a, a spot where somebody was going to have to give up a lot of salary for him. So that 
they they went to him and said, look, hey, here are some places you can go. What do you think works out? And the one thing that he said was he talked to his agent, he talked to his wife, and, and talking to the team, they figured out that probably the best situation for both teams uh, was, was CJ New Orleans. And you can see why. I mean, they, they, the, the playmaking, the shot creation. We saw it last night. Um, he had 21 shots. He shot six for 21, but again, he arrived at 1230 Thursday morning, had five hours of sleep, went through a shoot around, probably didn't get his normal pregame nap in, I'm assuming, because he's trying to get his normal pregame nap in, uh, which I'm assuming he probably didn't get to, get to do. And then he shows up at the game and you could see he had tired legs. I think I saw something. He had 16 uncontested shots last night. Mm. And I think, I think the bigger thing is not that he went six for 21. He had 16 uncontested shots last night. Those are going to go in. We heard him say last night, those are going to start to go in for him. So I think he recognized the situation. Obviously he mentioned Brandon Ingram. You know, the, the UCNB I play lately line that he, that he had last night. Um, so I think the fact that he recognizes the situation he wanted to be in, I think that just helped in, in the process, and it's going to, to help the team moving forward. Jim, when you look at last night's game, and Andrew hit it as far as, you know, how tired CJ was, but how the open looks he was able to get, they were in it for most of that game against the Miami Heat last night until probably the last half a quarter in the fourth. They were scoreless in the final 318. I guess what did you see last night as far as CJ trying to get adjusted and also his, his teammates getting adjusted to CJ being on the floor? Yeah, I think it's going to take a little time. I don't think it's going to take that long, but maybe a couple games before they figure things out and they get into a rhythm and de determine, like, you know, the best places on the floor for – guys to get the ball and just kind of get used to the way that CJ plays. He, has, he definitely has a unique way of, of playing offense where he does a lot of ISO stuff and he's really shifty. I think that's the best word to describe what he can do off the dribble. I didn't realize the part about the 16 uncontested shots. It seemed like there were a lot, but I would have never have guessed it was that many. Um, he, he did have some great looks. I mean, there were some times where the entire Smoothie King center crowd was kind of ready to, get out of their seats because they were anticipating, you know, he's open and he's going to knock down this three and everyone's going to go crazy. And you know, he just missed the shot. Um, he mentioned, you know, it's a make or miss league after the game. And he talked about, you know, obviously you can analyze everything all day, but if the shots don't go in, you're going to get a different result. And I think that was what happened to him and the team overall last night, which is a big reason why they want or why they lost, but you got to give Miami credit. I mean, they're one of the best teams in the league and they're a good defensive team as well. Um, kind of to back up some of the stuff that Andrew talked about. I mean, we can sit here, you can, I can sit here and say to people who maybe haven't watched McCollum a lot because Portland's on the West coast and the games are on late and the trailblazers aren't necessarily like a marquee flashy team. I could say, you know, that was not what CJ is going to do all day and people maybe aren't going to believe me, but I did look up some stats today that I think helped kind of illustrate how much of an aberration the game was for him last night. He's played 37 games this season. He's only had one game this season where percentage-wise he shot worse than he did last night. That was tied for his second worst field goal percentage of the entire season. So I think when you factor in some of the stuff that Andrew talked about in terms of not only did he get 
to, did he land in New Orleans at 1230? But he said that he didn't get to sleep until 230. And as Andrew referenced, he probably didn't get his nap in if he does that before games. I don't know how you could really you could stay still yesterday. I mean, think about all the stuff mentally that he's is going through his head about his life has just completely been upturned and he's getting ready to play in a game. So I would imagine ho- hopefully last night he slept really well because he would must have been in, insanely tired after going through that experience. But at the same time, I don't know if he did sleep that well, because to me, you, you, all these things would still be going through your head of like just how many, how much major stuff has changed and all the different stuff that he's going to have to do is as they move forward and play a bunch of games and then try to get settled in here in new Orleans. And if we're going to talk about first impressions and first games with the Pelicans, let's just go back a couple of months and remember JV shot three of 19 in his yep. debut. Mm. Yeah. It was the, one of the worst shooting games of his career, if not the worst. Uh, and I think things have pretty much worked out for him since then. So <laughs> yeah, sometimes yeah. it's first game jitters. Some like, things happen. There are just aberrations. If it happens in your first game, people are going to remember that if, if it was, you know, if Brandon went four for 22 on a random Tuesday in December, you're not mm-hmm. going to remember it as much, but if it's your first game in the uniform, it's going to stand out. JB just did it, you know, a few yeah. months ago. And I don't think anybody hardly remembers the fact that he was three for 19 that first. Yeah. And also as someone that has two girls under three, CJ has a one month old newborn too. So as far mm-hmm. as not getting sleep, that's part of the, <laughs> the repertoire for him I'm sure, already. I, I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm sure he enjoyed, uh, he really got his nine hours of sleep last night. Yeah. Sure, sure he, he really enjoyed that one. Yeah, absolutely. Before we move on and talk about some of the other deals around the NBA, Andrew, I guess what does this trade mean for the Pelicans? Not only now, but moving forward. We talked about the impact of the potential this has, not only with this lineup without Zion right now, but even when Zion turns into the mix. If we talk about this team building, but they got the momentum last week from the four-game winning streak, and they're now sitting in 10th. Um, still just a half game ahead of Portland right now. But, of course, Portland and New Orleans, I feel like, are going in different directions after what happened during the deadline. But what does this trade mean for the Pelicans moving forward? It's it, Look, I mean, it, you now have a very, again, and even David Griffin mentioned this last night, on paper, you have a very, very potent offense that you can use right now. And, you know, it, I don't know what a healthy starting lineup looks like. When, when Z comes back, you have different options. You can, you can go CJ, Brandon Ingram, Herb, Zion, JV. You can move some of that around a little bit. Maybe, you know, if you want to, I guess, pull Herb out and, and use him as kind of your six-man defender where he can kind of come in and then do whatever you need to do if you start Devontae and CJ. I, I don't know what you end up doing there. Obviously, we saw Willie go with the, the CJ uh, Devonte starting you didn't last night slide uh, Jackson back to the bench, but it's it's versatility. And I think right now you you also have what thirteen guys under contract next year for for a lot of money. Uh, I think you're still under the tax with that, but it, it puts you in a position where you can use this group and then grow into next year um, with essentially the same core of guys. Um, you know, you you have to like the offensive potential here with essentially three 20-point scores in a healthy offense. Obviously, Dame has scored – I'm sorry, CJ has scored. Uh, being alongside Dame, you know, that didn't matter to him. Even being alongside Dame, CJ has scored at least, uh, you know, 20 points per game in the last, you know, seven seasons. He has been an efficient scorer, seventh or sixth, seventh in the NBA in three-pointers during that time. 
He can score off the dribble. He's a 20-point-a-night guy. Brandon has been a consistent 20-point-a-night guy since he got here. And then you throw in the guy who averaged 27-7 and last year on 60-something percent shooting. Yeah, I think that's a pretty, pretty good offense. Um, So I I think that's even like – not even worrying about Zion right now. You still have a pretty good offense with B.I. and C.J. playing against each other. What it means long-term is those three together – I think make you know you could have one of the better offenses in the league if things come together. Yeah, you know I think you just touched on a lot of the ways that there are there are a lot of really beautiful things that you can envision with this team, you know, going forward and into next season and that kind of thing. I I think because you you covered kind of the bigger picture, um, long term stuff. I wanted to kind of talk more about what where we are right now. Um, to me, I think what last night did for me, I mean, it was the, ex- the excitement was great. The arena was really excited and that kind of thing. Obviously they didn't get the win, but it kind of moved me back into the mode of, we have to think about, you know, short-term right now, the goal is to still to get in the play in tournament. I mean, I'm, I was guilty of this as well after the winning streak of four games and starting to think like, further ahead like okay can they move up further in the in the rankings and that might still actually might end up happening if they can get pull things together and get on the same page quickly here but um to me right now one of the biggest things that the McCollum addition did for the Pelicans is put them in a better position to secure the 10th seat at least and of course we want to see them move up and hopefully we'll have that conversation when they get a little closer if and when they get a little closer to the Really, the two LA teams to me are the ones that are in this in striking distance as far as realistically have a chance to catch them with a hot streak. But uh, the Pelicans of the last 27 games, they have 11 against the um, really five teams that I consider kind of in playoff play in contention. They have two games against the Blazers, three against the Spurs, including Saturday being the first one, two against the Kings, and then they also have three against the Lakers and one against the Clippers. So. I think one of the things I'm going to watch over the last, you know, two months of the season is just the impact that CJ has in terms of them being able to win some of these games that are going to be very crucial as far as being able to say, okay, they're definitely going to be in the playing tournament because at the very minimum, they're going to get the 10 seed. So um, I think that also is a, is a factor into why this was such a good trade. And, and one of the things that is going to benefit them over, you know, the, the last, like I said, 27 games of the season. And another thing that stands out to me is, and I know a lot of people kind of made an issue about of, of taking on CJ's contract, which is, um, I think, almost seventy million dollars over the next two years. It, you saw it was it's it's been historically tough for New Orleans to land uh, free agents and big market free agents. If you can go out and secure one who is okay with being here. I think you take that chance and you go out and do it. And then if something doesn't work, you can try to figure it out down the line. Like if you have a chance to land a guy of CJ's caliber, you go ahead, you do it. And then you try to figure everything else out after that. And I think that was uh, another key here. And I think, again, if you, if, if fans are just looking at last night and trying and are a little worried about what, how that offense, but, those shots are going to start falling. And I think this is going to be, you know, you know, something that's going to benefit them both in the short term and the long term. You know, to add to your point real quickly too, um, to me, when you watch CJ, you see a guy who's not going to 
decline based on his game is predicated on quickness and speed. And we see a lot of guards. I'm not going to name names and throw people under the bus right now, but you see guards across the NBA that when they get into their thirties, if they don't have, you know, a jumper and they're relying on trying to get to the rim. I mean, as the famous NBA saying that father time is always undefeated, that always kicks in and that really makes it rough at the end of guys' careers when they get into their thirties. But I mean, I don't, I, no I definitely what you're talking about Jim. That's, <laughs> that's a crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, it could I, be, I it could be anybody. Any, really. Yeah. It could be anybody. I yeah. know, anybody involved. Yeah. I don't know who, who would, who that would fit right now. <laughs> but, but anyways, the, uh, the, when, when you get into your thirties, um, if, if your game is relying on that, you're in trouble. I, I'm CJ might be at the complete other end of the scale. His, his skill is what makes him so good and what makes him effective. So um, as long as he can still shoot, I think you're not going to be worried about, and he's, he's 30, he's not 36. I, I definitely heard on some different podcasts the last couple of days, I've been trying to listen to everything and watch everything I possibly could. I've heard a few people say like, you know, he's not really on the same timeline as, some of the other guys were, you know, Zion's 21, Brandon is 24, but also to your point, Andrew, um, I don't think there's no team that has everybody on the same age of their career in the same stage of their career. A lot of times, a lot of times that's not a good thing because you're talking about trying to pay everyone at the same time and you can't. So um, there's, I'm not concerned about that at all in terms of his age or where he is in his career for a lot of the reasons that I just mentioned. And sometimes you just flat out need an adult in the room. I mean, I know they're <laughs> yeah. kids and I know they're, I know they're, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it, you look at, and I've said this from, from the jump, you look at the value that Garrett Temple has brought to this team. And I think some people, some fans will look at some of his on off numbers and look at the, the value that Garrett Temple brings to this team starts in the locker room and is off the court. And now you bring in somebody like CJ McCollum, the president of the PA. Again, I think I, sometimes you, you have to mix in a little bit of that. You know, maybe maybe Gary Temple just needed somebody that he needed to hang out with. I mean, that also that doesn't hurt as well. Well, can I go you know, on a mini rant for a second? As far as the tax and worry, what? It's amazing how many people worry about the financials of a situation when you're talking about a market like New Orleans and everyone's like, they need shooting, they need shooting. You go out and get one of the better shooters in the league, and then they're like, oh, he's too much money, or how is this going to deal with in two or three years? Let the people that actually worry about that figure that out in two to three years. But as a team that's trying to get some momentum and get a playoff push and have a young core like the Pelicans do, why it just doesn't make any sense for, for some of us to worry about the financials of the situation because none of us know the backstories of how this all works and how it plays out. And there's a plan in place for all this. And the fact that this is the guy that you were targeting, everyone's like, God, if, if the Pelicans get CJ McCollum, what's that do to them? And then when they get him, Oh, well, what are they going to do in three years from now when his contract's up or they have to pay these, like when it happens, it'll happen. But that's just one of my mini rants. I, think I, too. I, I was, and I think, uh, oh, go ahead, Jim. No, I was, I was joking with people yesterday that I think one of the things that happens when you get into some of these analysis shows is I was kind of, I was jokingly saying like, if I was analyzing the trade, I would be like a team that struggles to shoot and a team that's been in the bottom six in offense, got one of the best shooters in the NBA and got one of the best offensive players in the NBA. And I'm done. That's it. There's my, there's the show. 
But the problem is, is you you can't stop there. If yeah. some of these people are getting paid big money to give us the ins and outs and the analysis, so sometimes you do get way too much. And this is my opinion. I'm sure you agree is with what you just said, Daniel. But sometimes you do get way too much into how does this affect three years from now? We don't even know. I mean, look what's happened with Brooklyn. We don't even know what's going to happen three weeks from now. So yeah. like spending expending this much time talking about 2026 or 27 pit draft picks, I I don't get it. And, and the, the salary stuff is kind of the same way. It's like, there's so many different um, factors behind it that, but you, you do end up getting sometimes way more analysis about that than the actual basketball part, which to me has gotten aggravating a little bit as a fan of basketball over the last few years. But um, there's plenty of reasons why we can't just get this, the basic, Hey, good team that needed a guy, got the guy and then end it there. I think the, the, the one thing about the, the salary thing is it also doesn't preclude them from making any more moves. I mean, if there mm-hmm. is, if, if, if they get to a situation where they're get up against the tax and they don't want to pay the tax, they can make a move to get out of it. I mean, they, yeah. they have contracts that people would want. I mean, so that's, I think the, the, the biggest thing to me. And, and look, I, I think at the end of the day, and I think like you guys, to, to your point, this is a team that needed shooting. They needed a playmaking guard. They went out and got a playmaking guard. That's why I think this deal is yeah. going to end up working for them, especially this year, uh, pairing it next to BI. Um, you know, and if Z comes back, then you you have another obviously huge addition. But for the short term, just having those two together, I think it's going to be great. And attracting people next year potentially and showing them what you potentially have with CJ, BI, and Z healthy on the floor together and may want others to come join whether it's next year or the year after that. And I think that's the importance of this deal, not the actual <clears throat> financial ramifications. But Jim, we have a couple more things I want to get to before I let you all go. And you brought up James Harden and the trade yesterday between the Nets and the Sixers. And boy, talk about everyone having a hot take about what that trade. I heard some destroying the Sixers for the move they made. Some were destroying the Nets. You know, that big three only played 16 games together. They went 13 and three, but unfortunately for them, unable to, really string a solid uh, core together to make a run. The Nets have lost 10 in a row, went from the number one seed to actually number eight right now in the East. And the Sixers, of course, in the Ben Simmons situation, got an all-star in Harden. Talk about the two-man game of Harden and Embiid that um, I'm excited to see as well. And also circling March 10th on my calendar for Sixers and Nets on TNT. little plug for them, but that's going to be certainly fascinating to watch. Andrew, I'll start with you and go to Jim. I think everyone was talking about this trade could it get done? Will it get done? Ends up getting done. What did you think from both sides, how, how both teams fared in this situation? I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but uh, I like it for both teams. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't happen. One team has to get the wrong end of the deal. Mute, Look, mute him, Daniel. Mute him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, around the horn. Start. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my, my points are going down. Yeah. Uh, Look, let's start with this with the Philly side. Obviously, you take a player who wasn't going to play for you, was not playing for you, and you turn him into James Harden. That is a big uh, that is a big boost for your team. You don't have to give up Tyrese Maxey. You don't have to give up uh, Matisse Thybulle. Those are both wins for your team. You don't waste. I don't want to say waste, but you can now try to make the most of um, – the year that Joel Embiid is having um, arguably, I mean, if, if, if the MVP vote was held today, I think it's, it's Embiid, it's Giannis, it's Jokic for the top three right now. 
um, and many people I think would have Embiid at, at number one. So you don't necessarily you, you try to make the most of that deal right now, um, where where he's at. You get a dynamic playmaker. You get you, you know you have somebody who's familiar with uh, with Harden and Maury who can you know they they know where to how to how to kind of what he likes and things like that. So I think that's that's great from Philly's side. For the Nets, you you recoup a little of what you gave up to get James Harden, which was a lot. And a, picks. A, a lot of picks. And, uh, you know, a guy I think should have been an all-star in Jared Allen, uh, Karis LeVert, who, you know, those guys now together in, 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 in Cleveland. You you gave up a lot to, to get him. You get two firsts back. Uh, you get you get a shooter in Seth Curry. Shout out to Doc Rivers for trading his son-in-law. <laughs> um, he probably didn't want that to happen just so he could see his grandkids. Family dinner um, just got awkward. <laughs> yeah, just a, just a little bit. So, but he now you know you, you have a shooter in there to help give you some of the production that you're missing from Joe Harris. And and I think for for the Nets for this really to be a win for the Nets, I'd love I, I got to see how they use Ben. Obviously, there's some other issues going on there with, you know, who's going to be the point guard at, at home games. But I think um, what you can see is if they end up using Ben as Draymond, as a Draymond type four connector who can set the picks and then pick part, pick part defenses, uh, you know, from, from that spot. I think you got something there. And – you know, we, we, I don't know when he's going to be able to get on the court. I don't know how it's going to work, but I, I, I like it for the Nets. I mean, I think as long as you have somebody who, is, who wants to be out there, uh, I, I think you're, you're in a good spot. And, you know, for, you know, if KD comes back healthy, you know, I, I think both teams can, can benefit from this. And I think obviously the Nets did a little bit getting some of that, some of those picks back. And, and obviously Philly gets a, a chance to, to push for a title this year. So I like it for everybody. I don't know if I'm allowed to like it for everybody, but uh, that's, that's what, that's what I, uh, that's my feelings. On it. I'll, I'll allow it for today. And then Jim, let's, let's see your thoughts. Can we go two for two on liking it for both sides? <laughs> uh, I'm going to no, say, no, we can't go two for two. <laughs> no, no. Here's your answer. <laughs> you know, Andrew gave a very reasoned, calm, collected take on the trade. In the spirit of ranting and hot takes, I would like to throw out a couple hot takes on the on the trade. Okay. So one one is, as you mentioned, Daniel, there were people yesterday who declared that Brooklyn is now the favorite to win the championship. There's people who declared that Philly is now the, the favorite to win the championship. My hot take is that the the trade yesterday was great for the Milwaukee Bucks, <laughs> who I think are still the in my mind are still the favorite and in some ways maybe um, actually gained even a larger foothold on being the team that comes out of the East, just based on um, especially Brooklyn is going to have to sort through so many different things to get to from from now until the playoffs start. I mean, you only have two months. It's less, it's the regular season ends on April 10th. You have two months basically to figure out how to put everything together. And we don't even need to go through the list of, of all the things that Brooklyn has to sort out between now and then Um, for the Nets specifically. I mean, think about this. It's a great thing. It might be a godsend that 
Kevin Durant sounds like he's coming back relatively soon because the way that people are talking, they're saying that, okay, Simmons understandably hasn't played since last season. They're saying, you know, I might, I don't know if this is going to happen or not, but it's like, well, he's going to take a few weeks or a couple weeks to get back into shape, get in, can get into condition. Kyrie can't play in the home games. If Durant wasn't back, isn't back by, you know, the second half of the season after the all-star break, is it possible that they don't even make the playoffs or they don't even make, they, they could not even, it's possible for them to not even make the play in tournament. If you look at the standings, they've lost 10 in a row. If they, if that streak gets to like 15, which it could um, based on the way things are going right now. And the fact that they don't have Kyrie, like I said, in the home games. Um, So it's, it's crucial that they start to win some games. I know that sounds, um, sounds insane. And people are already kind of spinning the ball forward to, to April and May, as far as what they're going to do. I mean, they need to make sure that they get there. But um, so that, that, that's one of my, my hot takes is like a lot of times we're focused so much on the shiny objects of the trade, big trades that we lose sight of the fact that Milwaukee has great chemistry and has a bunch of guys that have played together. And so I think that's my big takeaway. Um, as far as the effect on Philly, um, I don't, I definitely don't think we have time for another rant. But I'm, we're getting to the point where it's like I have a countdown clock now. So that's uh, true let's, too. Let's get to the point. Let's we're getting to the <laughs> we're getting to the point where it's like with certain guys. Is there anything that's going to make them happy? Like there's certain guys that's like every few months it's like oh the guy wants to leave here. So if I was Philly, I would not be I would not get too comfortable with any situation because who the heck knows what's going to happen. And I'll wrap it up there because I see the the uh, 24 yeah. second sh- shot clock is running down. All right, before I let you go, I do want like a quick rapid fire take on the trades. You talked about, Jim, the five, six teams that are kind of in the Pelicans area as far as playing, whether they're ahead of the Pelicans or behind. Out of those teams, whether it was the Sacramento trade, whether it was the Clippers getting those two guys from the Blazers, whether it was the Lakers not making a deal or even the Spurs trading Derek White, I'll start with Andrew and go to Jim. Which one was maybe the most impactful as far as for the Pelicans um, moving forward as far as their quest to get in the plan? impactful in a different way. I think Portland in what they're doing may have taken themselves uh, in in a different direction. So I think that maybe frees up a team uh, competing for a spot. The Spurs in the same way also kind of look like they're loading for picks. They're loading to make a move maybe in the summer, but I know what Sacramento did was, was kind of paying for getting rid of Tyrese Halliburton, but you know, in terms of a long-term view, but in a short-term view, the Monte Sabonis is a, is a two-time all-star. I know they have a lot of bigs, but he is a very good player that could help them uh, right now. I think that might be the one that kind of stands out to me right now. Jim? Yeah, I think Andrew pretty much covered everything that I was going to to mention. I'm really curious to see um, how the game Saturday against the Spurs goes. They, uh, The Spurs definitely did make moves that would indicate that they're not super preoccupied with trying to get in to the play-in tournament, but I still think they have enough good players that you have to be concerned about them, especially if they're able to get a win, you know, tomorrow and, and cut the gap a little bit on the Pelicans and make it a really interesting race that goes down to the end. Obviously, from a Pelicans standpoint, they hope that doesn't happen, but I was surprised by the Halliburton trade, but agree 100% with Andrew that the Kings are the Kings are definitely worth watching short-term to see if, you know, they looked really good in their first game with Sabonis, if they can keep keep going with that and they can beat some of these teams coming up on their schedule. They're kind of in the middle of the NBA or teams that are struggling. Also yeah. the buyout, the buyout Lakers are, are coming too. We don't, we don't know what that looks like, but I guess yeah. we'll see what that looks like in a, you know, in a week and a half. 
Yep. Let the games begin on that part. That's for sure. All right. Good stuff there from Jim Eichenhoff of Pelicans.com. Of course, Andrew Lopez of ESPN and ESPN.com. Guys, great discussion. I'll see you both at practice later on and at the arena tomorrow. Should be a, a lot good, fun four games here at home. And then the all-star break. Thanks for the time. Thank you. All right. We'll have Andrew's ESPN teammate, Mark Spears, on Monday's podcast for you. We'll have two more next week before the all-star break. And until then, for Jim and Andrew, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeky.